I know we've got a lot of people out with the flu, and I've had a touch of it too, but I had a flu shot a few weeks ago, and I think it kind of helped me get over it real quick, but I'm not totally over it. I was thinking I might have to sing in a voice like this this morning, but I didn't have the courage to do that, so went ahead and tried my normal voice. I know it's rough. <laughs> but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for those that are, that are out sick. Our pastor's out with the flu. Maddie's got it, so Evie's having to stay home to take care of them, and I know there's others. Uh, got text this morning that Chevelle has the flu, and so I actually had to stay home with her. She was supposed to sing our special this morning. So, anyway, we're going we're gonna to have a good day in, in the Lord's house anyway. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll receive the morning offering. Brother David, would you word our prayer? Father, yeah, thank you for this day, Lord. We just thank you for this church, Father. Father, we ask you to bless this offering, Father, and just guide and direct you for your benefit, Father. Father, mm -hmm. there's so many people that are sick, Wally, mm -hmm. preacher. Yes, amen. Chevelle, uh, Lord, mm -hmm. just uh, I pray for them, uh, just guide and direct in their life, and, and each and every person that are, that are healed, Lord, and just uh, bless, bless the services today, Lord. Amen. For that, appreciate it. Morning, folks. Yeah, there are some people missing here. It looks like today. That's a uh, that's a bummer. A lot of sickness. I was telling telling Gary, I've been praising the Lord. I've not been sick. I think everybody in my family's been. I, I know, Sharon. It's. I'm, I'm not. I'm not tempting God. I'm not saying, "Hey, I dare you to." Yeah, because He'll do it. He'll do it. Make me put me in my place. So, anyways, uh, this morning, just following up here, writing down some notes to myself and everything. I was thinking about Brother Hoots and praying for him and and Steve Irwin. There, we're thankful that Steve is uh, pretty much out of the woods on his problem and. We went over and seen Wally and Joanne last night and their, and their daughter at the hospital. And I think Wally's kind of playing hooky or something. He didn't look like anything was wrong with him to me there. He was just his old self joking around and carrying on and telling stories and all that kind of stuff. So it was nice to get to spend some time with them folks and on visitation there. And, and uh, so it, it's just all good. He's in that Benton. Denton City or Medical City out there. Denton seems like a pretty good hospital. If you have to go to a hospital, you might, uh, you might try that place out. Anyway, hopefully nobody will have to do that. So, anybody got any comments, questions, concerns from last week? And if, yep, yeah, yes, sir. Uh, it didn't sound like it. It sounded like he was going to be in there today and maybe get out tomorrow. But he, I told him last night, I said, you could just drive home with us right now and have it over with. But uh, he's on a, 
they, they moved him up to a different floor or to a different room or something. And he's not even connected up to anything. The lady was coming in there every, I think, what'd they say, every four hours or something, Patty, they come in and check his blood pressure. He had a, what he was telling me, and I didn't even, I didn't even know this, but uh, um, it was all a blood pressure thing. His blood pressure was like, uh, I'm probably violating every HIPAA law that's ever been written, but what did they say? It was like 230 over 130. It was pretty high blood pressure, and that caused him to, couldn't read some stuff and just having a hard time. And uh, it, it was kind of funny, the, the, doctor, the doctor was asking, or a nurse, I guess, was probably asking him a question about, you know, they always ask you, what's your name and your birthday and all this kind of stuff, right? And so this, this person says, what, what year is it right now? And, and Wally kept saying it was 1948. <laughs> well, it turns out that's his, birth, that's his birthday. He was born in 1948. I didn't realize he was that, that old. He's 70, what would that be, about 70, 75, 76 years old, somewhere around in there. So, wait a minute, is, is that right? Se 78, wouldn't it be? If he was 48 to, oh, 76. Yeah, that's well, right. five years older than me, and I'm 70. I just went by that. Oh, oh that's, probably, that's probably a good way to do it. I can even do that kind of public math. It's hard to add stuff up when you're standing in front of a group of people. Anyway, Wally looks like he's just going to be fine there, uh, Wayne, and so it was, it was nice. It was a very encouraging visit there. So anyways, all right. Well, yes. We keep Hannah Reeves in our prayers. Who is this? Oh, Hannah Reeves, okay. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, we'll, we'll pray for her here this morning along with... What, is she, she the flu too, just like everybody else, or has she got something besides that? No, she's pregnant. She's seen a cardiologist because her blood pressure keeps going really high. Oh, huh? It's serious. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get, uh, we'll get started up here then. Father, we just come before you here this morning, Lord, to ask for a blessing on the time that we have here this morning to study your, your word and to um, just look into some of the things that you would have for us out of your word this morning. We, we just uh, think about the different people on, this, on the uh, prayer list and these prayer requests here. We think about Tony Hoots. We just ask that you continue to relieve him from some of this pain that he has with this hip issue here. We thank you for the uh, uh, encouragement that we seen out of Wally there and his family last night over at the hospital, Lord, that you would just uh, work with him, helping to get out of that hospital here within the next 24 hours or so, and we'd be careful to give you the thanks and praise for that. And then um, we think about Hannah Reeves here this morning, this young lady that's pregnant, has these blood pressure issues, sounds like a very serious uh, operation. And, as far as the uh, blood pressure is concerned and what have you. And then we think about that little baby that's inside of her. Lord, we just ask that you would put a um, healing hand on that entire situation there, that, that um, they would have some remedy for that and that there would be no continued uh, problems here with this blood pressure thing and particularly for that baby. And then also give the families that are involved in all of these issues here, no matter who they are, uh, peace of mind. Lord, help us to stay focused on you. Help us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. That's what the Bible says. And so we'll be um, instant to do that. We thank you. We love you. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.
All right. So Matthew 4, 19, and he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, follow me, that's Jesus saying, follow me, and I, that's Jesus saying, I will make you fishers of men. But we have to be willing to let him do that. That's the thing. We've got to get into the mindset there and, and be willing, uh, you know, to let the Lord work in our lives here about these things. All right. Last, uh, last week we were kind of finishing up on these uh, pesky objections. And I'll just have a little recap of, of those things here and comment a little bit about them. One of them was, I've been hurt by the, hurt by the church. And we, we all know people that have questions or comments or something like that that they make about a you know something that's gone on at a church that they didn't particularly like but probably more uh, apropos than that is the effect of words on new Christians and non-Christians when somebody just says something mean or mean you know bad or treats them a certain way that's that's the uh, you know you have more of a problem with that probably than by an entire church congregation doing something to somebody uh, Pastor Tom, we mentioned this little thing about him, how he was proud of his congregation, how they welcomed that ragged young man, looked like he just washed in off the beach, right, out there in California. And the church was just so kind and gentle with all the different kind of visitors that came around there that there were several people got saved in that church as a result of that. Um, no perfect people in these churches. We're only forgiven sinners, best of men or men at best, and that's, that's where we're all at. No matter, no, matter what, um, no matter how hard we try, we're always going to fall short of God's glory. That's what the Bible says. We all come short of these things. And, and so try as you may. And hopefully as, as we're going through this sanctification process and trying to be more and more like Christ, we get better at it. But, but we're never going to be perfect at this until we're on the other side of the equation. Um, similar, a similar objection to that is the church is full of hypocrites. And, and yeah, we're, we can state that we're one of them. You know, we're one of them at some times and everything. And there's always people ask, how can I believe the Bible's true? You know, that, that all comes up. A whole bunch of different reasons why you can believe the Bible's true. And, um, but there's no requirement to stand on a street corner and go into all that with people. Unless they ask you to look up some stuff for them and find out some information for them, then you want to be careful to, to do that. There's all kinds of books that have been written about different things about the Bible and how they're true and how they're untrue and all that. There's plenty of information out there if you just go out and look into it to answer people's questions. Um, most people that get involved in those kind of uh, discussions or bring that stuff up, they're, they're just trying to deflect the conversation because maybe they don't really have any interest in what you're saying anyhow. Um, it's okay to not have immediate answers for the questions, but promise you'll research and then get back to them. Um, we told a little story or talked about a story about Tom Rainer, the author of the book here, uh, dealing with this difficult man that came to, that ended up coming to Christ in part because Tom had a good attitude about it and, and prayed about having a good Christian-like uh, disposition about the whole thing. And then finally, the conclusion, as we, as we said here the other day, was that we should be prayerful and prepared the world is watching us. The world is looking to us Christians to first show love. And that is the greatest gospel conversation we can have. We talked about that thing there. If you don't want to get into regular conversations with people about stuff, then at least have a good testimony. Be a, be a light out there and let people see what it's like to be a Christian or how Christians should act anyway. 
All right, so starting off on today's lessons then, he, and, and this is kind of, it's really pretty much the end, of the, the end of the book. There's one further conclusion at the end of the book that talks about discipleship class, which we'll talk about that next week. And basically what that, the, the last chapter in the book is titled this, what, if you lead somebody to Christ and they become a Christian in your church or as a personal level or something, what, what do you do with them then? And that's getting involved with the discipleship uh, program and, t and teaching people the, the doctrine of our, our faith here. So today's lesson is we start three big barriers to sharing the gospel. Now, these things here as we go through them, hopefully everybody in here will at least understand what we're talking about. And probably I would, I would venture to say that every one of us can, can relate to each one of these three things. And what he says here at the very very beginning of this is there is certainly more than just three barriers. But what they did was they did a survey. They looked into a whole bunch of churches and they, they come up with three of the ones that were the most common things that, that people, you know, the reasons why they have for not witnessing to people. And um, uh, the, the first one is busyness. We're just too busy about it. Um, apathy is, was the second one there. And then finally, the third one was lack of discipline. So out of all the ones that they came up with, and people have excuses for everything, I know I can come up with excuses for just about anything that you can think of when, if it's something I don't particularly want to do. Um, the, uh, uh, but these were the three biggest ones that they came up with. Let's take a look again about what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So notice that Jesus begins and ends this with his power and presence. And those are two of your fill-in-the-blank words there. Notice that Jesus begins and ends this with his power and presence. So again, we'll reiterate the fact that we're not in this thing alone here, folks. God is with us when we're out here witnessing to people and telling people about the gospel. Um, he's right there along with us. As a matter of fact, he was there before we ever showed up, right, preparing his fields for the harvest. Jesus talks about sharing the gospel and making disciples. Go ye, therefore. The word go, when it's used in this context, when you look it up, is as you are going. So it means as you go through your daily walk, as you go through your life, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with people. Sharing the gospel should be part of your normal lifestyle. Um, interesting little story I heard yesterday. I was helping a friend of mine with one of his uh, airplanes here, and uh, he was telling me about they, the other night when they were coming into Dallas, Texas, they got struck by lightning. 8,000 feet got struck by lightning. They had to take some vectors off course for about a half hour to get their eyesight back. That's, uh, yeah, an interesting thing in, in aviation is that lightning striking an airplane is not really that big of a deal. It usually doesn't even do anything to the airplane, but it does blind the people. It, it, you know, if you're, there, there's a technique when you're flying around near thunderstorms or you have that, you're supposed to turn all the, if it's at night, you turn all the lights in the cockpit up to full bright so that the, well, these boys, they've had to fly around for an extra half hour getting vectors so that they could see good enough to land the airplane. It's kind of a, kind of a big deal. But as he was telling me about this whole thing, he says, yeah, by the way, I, I led this co-pilot to Christ, you, you know. And I said, wow, right? Like when the lightning, he finally came to his senses. When the, it turned out 
he, and I've talked to, to my, my friend's name is Jamie. I talked to him on several different occasions about witnessing to people, and even told him some stuff about the Sunday school class and all that stuff. He says, no, Jeff, I've been working on this guy for four months. He's been, he's been flying with him off and on for four months, and, and it didn't have anything to do with the lightning strike, even though sometimes people need a lightning strike to get them to, to move off a dead center, right? But um, he led this guy to Christ about three weeks ago, as it turned out, on another trip that they were on. And this, this fellow has just ate up with it. He's got all kinds of Bibles now and all kinds of questions and answering, you know, and all this kind of junk. Well, I found out that his wife was already a born-again Christian, and she had been praying for her husband to get saved. And then God puts him in the cockpit with my buddy Jamie, and there you go. So anyway, there's all kinds of neat stuff that, that goes on. Part of your normal lifestyle. Pilots flying airplanes around, we witness to people, all this sort of thing. So anyway, let's take a look at what the Great Commission actually is. Here's a question for you, and it's two underlined things here. Is it evangelism or is it discipleship? That's the question. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that it's both of these things. Disciples must first be new converts. To be converted, they must first be evangelized. The Great Commission has a certain air of urgency to it. The, the task can't wait. You know, in this day and age that we live in right now, boy, and I'll tell you, isn't it exciting to be in Texas right, right now? We got that whole thing on the border going on down there, and our governor is battling with the president. Of the, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, come back quickly, Lord. That's what they were, they, if, if you're going to come, come quickly. We just have a mess on our hands. And so it's even more important, as the time gets closer and closer, that we should be witnessing to people. We should be assembling ourselves together in church more often. Uh, this is what the Bible says about these things here. So anyways, uh, disciples must first be new, they're converted, they gotta be evangelized. The Great Commission has a certain air, urgency, the task cannot wait. The Great Commission should be in our lives a top priority. All right, this is all writing right out of the, right out of the book. Now listen to this, the Great Commission should be a discipline in our lives. Well, disciplines, right? You have things that you're disciplined to do every day. Some people, it's, it's a little more uh, um, task-oriented and more outlined. Some people have their routine drawn out on a little whiteboard at their house or whatever, and then they just go through those things. I know I'm a guy who I make to-do lists when I'm doing stuff. My, my thing is, though, I like to just put stuff I've already done on the to-do list so I can cross something off, you know, because probably the stuff that I actually need to get done, I'm not ever going to get around to doing. But um, anyway, let's talk about this, this next thing here. The barrier of busyness. Here, here's what happens with this busyness aspect of this thing. Time management and setting priorities. There's an underline for you. Tom's example here was his, in a promise he had made to his sons. He, this fellow was having a... a Big problem early on in his career with this church answers business that he operates, this ministry that he has, trying to get a trying to get a handle on guest speaking and going out of town to be at different churches and all this kind of junk. Um, missed a lot of birthday parties and family times. He comments about how during uh, some of this stuff he was um, he was working at a bank. He had some other secular job. He was the uh, uh, the head of some seminary at the time. Then he also had his family and his kids that he was dealing with, right? And he, he says right in there, 
Take a guess which one's got the short end of the stick. Well, it's always your family. It's easy to justify going out to, going out to work and being gone for a few days on a, on a mission that you have to do and not be around your family. So the family kind of always gets the short end of the stick. And he was talking here about he missed a lot of birthday parties and family time. His professional life didn't suffer, but someone had to be put off or neglected, and it ended up being his family. Finally had a scheduling conflict between speaking and spending time with his sons, and he rationalized his time with his son. He rationalized his time with his sons away. More important to spend time out doing my business than it is to uh, spend time with my, with my boys here. His wife said to him, Thomas, you made it, and, and boy, when you're, when you're just always called Tom, and then the wife says Thomas like that. Thomas, you made a promise to your sons. You have to keep it. We put a little note in here. Fellas, aren't you glad we've got our wonderful wives to keep us in line? Oh, you're shaking your head there, David. I get it. Man, I'll tell you what. I, Patty, when she, she was sick here the last couple of weeks, and I'm like a guy without any arms or without a head or without a brain, when she's not around. It's just a blessing to have you in my life that you can keep me on the right track. And I'll tell you, husbands, sometimes our wives can be, let's just come right out and say it, sometimes they can be a little naggy maybe, right? You just get a little bit, yeah. And it's like, why don't you, quit bothering me about that and all this stuff. But boy, when they're, when they're not in the picture there for a day or two, you really, really miss them, you know. So anyway, rationalizing this time, his wife keeps him in line here. And then he says this right here, this brought to his mind, James 4.14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Yeah, we have a short, we have a short time on this planet here. And then he, he also mentioned here, considering Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Boy, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, right, every Sunday morning and, and all this stuff. And you talk about having wisdom, taking your knowledge and applying it to your everyday life. That's wisdom when you can actually use that. And, and uh, our lives are on loan from God and entrusted to us. We must focus our time on the eternal and not just our eternality. It's, it's everybody's, people all around us. The main reason why you tell about the Great Commission is to tell people, here's your way to get to heaven. And when I hand out gospel tracts to people, I mention that to them all the time. Here, read this thing right here. This is a great way for you to find out how to get to heaven when you die. You know, we had uh, last night, Patty and I went out to dinner and, and uh, our waitress there, Eli, was her, was her name. And uh, I handed her a gospel tract and she promptly told me she knows all about Jesus. She was uh, raised in a, a Baptist church and, you know, you know, got it. She understands all about Jesus said, well, give it to one of your co-workers. There's got to be somebody in this building over here. We're at the steakhouse. I said, there's got to be somebody here who doesn't know Christ, so pick them out and hand them, the, hand them the track. She said she'd be happy to do that. By the way, every person will have an eternity. All right. If we're too busy to share the gospel, it would stand to reason that we're just too busy. There's an underline for you, too busy. You ever get that way? I'm that way in my professional life all the time. I've always got so many things going on, I can't get anything done. It's, it's, it's really, it's pretty pathetic when you think about it. But I have managed to, I have managed to get away from the busyness of not witnessing to people, and I'm, and I'm happy about that. And it's because God has, has done that. I pray about it. I'm careful about what I ask God to do in my life when it comes to witnessing to people and how to handle it and all that stuff. 
I'm telling you folks, and you've heard me say it time and time again up here, that, uh, that uh, all you got to do is practice it just a little bit. It'll, before you know it, it will just be a natural thing for you to start witnessing to people, and that's what it, that's what it should be. Consider this here. 30 minutes on social media day. Everybody likes social media? I don't particularly like social media, but I know people get out there. And, and where I have gotten out there to look up something or something like that, I find myself two and a half hours later looking at stuff that uh, I never even went over there for. It's like go out there to look at something about a part on an airplane or something. Next thing I know, I'm watching airplane accident videos and all kinds of other junk. It's like, wow, man, it's already 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was supposed to be done with this at noon. You know, so I, I get it. 30 minutes on social media day. That's 182 hours, 80, 182 and a half hours per year. Little math here, right? 7.6 days per year you're spending out there. If you're just doing it for a half hour a day, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, YouTube, all this stuff, 7.6 days a year. Then here's the question, what if we shared the gospel with 182 people for an hour each? What could God do with us then? Amen. One hour spent with 182 people a year. Yeah, that's actually, it's not, I mean, just do the math. It's not really that complicated to do that. And if you could find an hour or maybe a, maybe a half hour on two different occasions, <laughs> spend time with somebody telling them about Jesus, it would be a, a, a good thing. What could God do through us? We can do all things through Christ which strengthen us, right? So he can, he can use us. By the way, you'd still have your half hour for social media if you, if you worked it in, if you scheduled your time correctly. Here's a simple reality. If we don't have time, it's because we don't make time to do it. If we don't make the time, it means we don't think sharing the gospel is all that important. Essentially, if... We really don't care if people go to heaven or hell. Sounds harsh, I get it. I totally understand it. I've had times in my life where the Holy Spirit has prompted me to witness, to talk to somebody, and I've just blown it off. And I look back on that and it's, it's just, it's, it's sad to me that I would ever do that. But that's what we are, we're human beings. We make errors in our judgment. And, uh, and you, have to, you have to come around and repent of that and try to, try to make sure it doesn't happen again. So how do we solve the, this is Tom's words, not mine. How do we resolve the mythical problem of busyness? Yeah, because it's really not that we're too busy. So here's what you, here's what you do. Pray for opportunities. Here's an underline. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. <clears throat> Folks, I'm here to tell you, if you ask God to do it, he will honor the prayer. There will be somebody will be in your path every day that you can share the gospel with. As God opens doors to the gospel conversations, fully engage with them. Tom uses his, Tom uses his time on social media to post scripture. This is not the same as gospel conversation, but it could help somebody. Keep in mind what it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit <clears throat> and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Back when we were teaching the doctrine class that we finished up before this <clears throat> got started up, we talked a great deal about that, 
the fact that this uh, scripture can discern even the intents of our hearts, what our motivations are. Boy, I'll, I'll tell you what, that's, that's very powerful. You, you can maybe have somebody read your mind or something like that, but you can't have somebody read what your intentions are with what you're doing. That's a whole, your intentions are a whole different, whole different ball game than what's actually going on. But that's what it says about the scripture. Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Consider cultivating a friendship with someone you don't know well. You might be uncomfortable with this, but God didn't say be comfortable. He said be obedient. Amen. The matter of busyness is straightforward. Everybody gets 24 hours. The issue is how we use the time. The enemy would love for you to be too busy to share the gospel. In fact, he may be convincing you of that very lie right now. Boy, how many times, how many times do you sit in here under preaching and pastor will say something up here and you go, yeah, that's me, but you know, I can justify that. And there's all kinds of different reasons how come I'm not doing this or why I'm not doing that. And uh, uh, that's, just, that's just the devil. That's just Satan yeah. getting in your, in your business there and trying to convince you that we really don't need to do any of this stuff. Our calendar may fill up with many good things. There's an underline for you. But does it allow time for great things, namely the Great Commission? <clears throat> we should never be too busy to share the gospel. All right. So that's the end of the busyness uh, barrier. The next barrier that we talk about is the barrier of apathy. And it says here, apathy is closely related to busyness. It's an underline there. Apathy is closely related to busyness. When we become too busy to share the gospel, we become apathetic to sharing the gospel. So Tom and his son co-authored this book titled Raising Dad. And it was a story from his son's perspective on how Tom was as a father. And then, so here's how the, here's how the book was set up. One chapter was about quality time and quantity time spent with the family. And he goes on to mention in this thing that kids really don't know the difference between, uh, or maybe not even know what quality time is, but they do know what quantity time is. Kids like to just be around their, they like to be around their dads. They like to be around their mothers. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Sometimes just being nearby is good enough. I remember reading a, a book one time where this, this lady was talking about uh, um, her husband mentioned he was, sick, he was sick and dying, but the comfort in him wasn't having all this interaction with his wife. It was just knowing she was just even in the same house with him. All right? There was no quality time there whatsoever, but just her presence in there. And Tom's son, Art, that wrote this, was the co-author of this book, he says the same thing. He talked about this road trip they were on, where basically they're in this car for two days and really didn't even say very much to each other the whole time. A little small talk here and there, but that... That kid remembered just being with his dad this whole, this whole time. Then the way the book unfolds here is it talks about the, um, it talks about, uh, uh, the fact that they come in here and the second part or the second half of that chapter was how Tom's recollection was. So the son had his way that he remembered the car trip. Tom had his way that he remembered what the car trip was and how he was as a, uh, as a, uh, a parent. He says, uh, Tom's recollection of this time was he remembered far too many times he just wasn't there. 
just wasn't at the, at the house at all, just wasn't uh, in the car trip, wasn't even thinking about his kid or any of this kind of stuff, all right? Didn't give his family the time they needed and deserved. He was very ashamed of the busyness of life at that time. And he could describe himself as an absentee father, all right? He goes on to say there that a better description, though, was that he was an apathetic father during those years. And then here, here, was the, here was the way that he went and kind of described the difference between being an absentee father and being an apathetic father or being an apathetic person about anything. Absentee means that you're just not able to be there, like an overseas military guy. Yep, you're not here because you're out on deployment, you're over in Iraq fighting the bad guys and all this kind of stuff. I'm reading a book right now titled Unforgiven, written by a guy named Eddie Penny, that's talking about how his absence, he's a Navy SEAL, how his absence over there, over in all that fighting and all that stuff, just, just totally destroyed his marriage because he was an absentee father. And at the times he was home, he was an apathetic father in so much as he had deployments that he would just get ready for. I mean, it almost brings tears to your eyes reading this guy's book about how just devastating going off to these wars was and what this, what this fellow did over there. But here's what Tom Rayner says about this. He says, apathy, on the other hand, describes motive and intent. Two things, motive and intent. It means that you could do something but you choose not to because it's not important enough to you. All right. So here's what, here's what comes up in our, in our, a thing that Patty and I are socially invested in around here is we get involved with politics. Now think what you might about that. I'm not a politician, neither is Patty, but we are interested in, in uh, seeing that the, the country has a chance to get back on some kind of right direction, and particularly in Wise County. Wise County is reportedly one of the most conservative and Republican-type counties in the, in the entire state of Texas. So we got some good people in here and all this stuff. But one of the things we run into is we run into a lot of apathy. People just don't care. They won't make time because they don't want to like study what any of the stuff is about, what the events are about, what you're even voting on. Some people go in here. I, I've actually, Patty and I both have run election offices. That's what we, during election season, we're the ones that are running the places. And we go down there and you get people come in there. Is there just a, anything in here you can put a, just type a, you know, check one box and it was votes for all the Democrats or check one box and it votes for all the Republicans. Well, when they ask me that question, they get a lecture about the, uh, the Constitution of the United States. Even though technically we're not really even allowed to tell them. You've got to like step outside of the building and go tell them outside the building. But uh, that's apathetic. You need to learn about what you're doing. It's the same, it's the same way with, with making time and, and sharing the gospel with people. You have to, you have to uh, figure it out, and you've got to get out there and do it. It means you could do something. We can all do something, but you choose not to because it's not important enough to you. If we simply say that we're not sharing the gospel and attach no reason to it, we give the impression that we're doing something else equally important to it. Now... Could there be something that's equally important to sharing the gospel? Well, in an environment like the class we're sitting in right now, the answer seems like it would be no. If everybody, oh yeah, no, there's nothing more important than sharing the gospel. 
There are occasions where something comes up that's more important than right now witnessing to somebody. If, if you're rushed into the hospital here, I would not have expected Wally, when he's rushed into this hospital, to start witnessing to the people as he's going through things more important. He needed to, he needed to be in there to, to get his heart fixed up or his blood pressure fixed up or whatever. So there could be, there could be something, but it shouldn't be a matter of our way of life. There should, there should never be anything more important just in our daily walk that's uh, more important than sharing the gospel. If we're apathetic about sharing the gospel, our true motives are on display. We don't care about, and here's the list, we don't care about the gospel. We don't care about sharing the greatest news ever. We don't care about disobeying Jesus or about the eternity of those around us. Do you get the sad and sordid picture? That's Tom, that's a quote right out of the book. Do you get the sad and sordid picture? We have this great news, we have this great stuff that we could be telling people about, but sometimes we just do not move off of dead center enough to even bother doing it. And so that, that can be problematic. Too busy sounds reasonable and acceptable, but if we're not motivated to share the gospel, here, let me, let me start that over. Too busy sounds reasonable and acceptable, number one. But if we're not motivated to share the gospel, we're guilty of apathy. Yeah. You know, it's not important enough. I really don't care. I'm not that concerned about other people that are walking around me on this planet. You know, I've told you guys about the story about that atheist guy that said if Christians really believe this stuff and they're not telling every person they come past, it's the most selfish thing we could possibly ever do. And boy, I'll tell you what, that, that, that comes, if, if a Christian told you that, it's bad. When it comes from an atheist, it really hits home. Our motives are not pure and right. We're confessing by our actions that we really don't care what Jesus says. He's the one that said it, not me. It's not my words here. He's the guy that said, go out there and tell people about, about the gospel. So how do, we come, how do we overcome the barrier of apathy? Pray about the condition of our heart. Pray for opportunities. Pray that the Lord will open our eyes to see the opportunities. Yeah, there you go. That's an important one. I kind of had an, un there's not an underlined thing there, but I underlined it in my just prepping for the, uh, prepping for the thing. The, you can pray for opportunities all you want. God will put them out there. I promise you, folks, God will put opportunities to witness people. But if you're walking around with your eyes closed and you're not wanting to see the opportunities there, that doesn't help. So you've got to pray to even ask God to open your eyes to the opportunities that you can see what's going on there. We can also pray for a heart of compassion. Here's what it says in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So it's him. It's God sending us out there to do the harvesting and everything. Do you see any, uh, do you see any sheep out in our, in our environment right now that are, that are scattered with no direction, no place to go? People have no idea what to, what to do with their lives. They have no idea. They don't have any, they don't have any uh, discernment over what's going on in Israel right now or over there in the Middle East. They don't have any judgment about any of that stuff, because, mostly because nobody has told them and, and, and because they have not been invested in the Scripture to find out what the truth of the Bible is about these, about these things. So compassion here 
means to feel something at a gut level. We've all had compassion on, on folks, I would think. Put yourself in someone else's shoes and hurt for them. Jesus' plea for more workers demonstrates that not enough people have compassion. Yeah, we don't have, uh, we don't have enough compassion if we're not out here telling people about the gospel the whole time that we're out here doing our, doing our business, folks. And listen, I'm, I'm preaching or speaking or teaching or whatever as much to myself here as I am to the, as I am to the audience. It really and truly is important that, that we as Christian folks sit back and assess situations and decide, am I going to tell that person about the gospel? And it really is. It's easy to, to do. There's really nothing to it. Um, handing out the tracks. I'm really, really, really big on the, on the gospel tracks. We keep that thing back there well stocked. I'm, I'm pleased to see somebody's, somebody's taking some of them out there because we've had to fill the racks up a, a few more times. But um, grab them and give them out. Let people know that you love them and you care about them and, and all that. I even use that. I, I'll just I'll say to it doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl. I'll I'll hand them a track. Say here anybody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. And, wow, they people particularly when God when you say it to a guy they really part, they're like whoa what's this guy talking to me like that for? And you tell them it's about Jesus and they, <laughs> then they get it you know. So anyway, it's uh, it's nice to be able to do that. Perhaps our prayers should be for our own hearts and our own compassion. That's just a statement he made here. By the way, hang around with lost people and that'll help cure your apathy. Boy, isn't that the truth? Our love and compassion will grow when we get to know people by spending time with them. And so, how does that happen? Answer, it's your very last underlined on this thing here. Well, look at that, finally, after a year and a half of doing this, I, I got, I have like one, line, one sentence to read here now. So how does that all happen? Answer, trust God. You trust God in all this. Folks, we have to, we have to uh, trust God in everything that we do, not just, the, not just witnessing. You know, it's encouraging. Last night talking to Wally, he was, he was talking about how um, as he was undergoing all that different testing and everything, he just kept praying to ask God for, for help through those things, you know. And uh, uh, God was right there with him through that whole process. You, you, could, you could tell the man is a solid Christian and his family just because of the way they were acting over in that hospital. Now, granted, there was some, there was some you know, by the time we got in there, he'd been moved to a different place. So there was some better news than what they'd, than they'd heard originally when they were trying to get to the bottom of the thing. But, but uh, they all of them were prayerful about what was going on there with, with Wally. Just like we collectively as a church, we pray for people. The prayer list is out there. I know people take that thing. We do. We pray about stuff on there. Every Wednesday night we have a little prayer meeting before we start up the discipleship class. So next week we'll do the barrier of a lack of discipline. That's a big thing. We all have that in our, in our lives. And then, uh, and then we'll get on with what would be the, the last part of the book. And I think next week we'll finish this thing up. Yes, ma'am. You didn't get. What was it? You're on the very. What's that now? Oh, power and presence. Okay. Did you get that there? Sure. Okay. Power and presence. All right. Anybody got any questions, comments, concerns?
here's your assignment. Pass out a gospel tract this week to somebody. Plenty of them back there. If you don't think you're going to give out two, take one and hand it out. And if it gets lost in your car, maybe somebody will find it when they're cleaning your car for you or something. That'd be good. All right. All right, folks, we'll have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll end up. Father, thank you for the uh, time that you've given us here this morning. We'd ask that you'd be with Brother Brinson this morning as he brings us a message from your word. Father, we think about Pastor and his daughter. They're homesick with this flu. We just ask that you'd heal them up quickly. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, folks, thank you.